and a very warm welcome to all of you. On Ben, yeah. what I'm going to announce is yeah. the last ever Halloween special on the Outside Centre Film Podcast. No, surely not. Come on. It's <laughs> a, a classic. We need uh, I kept that out of our off-air chats because <laughs> I wanted to see how you'd react to it. Um, it's extremely hard to justify us doing another one, Ben. Huh. Um, for me, uh, last year was pretty bad. This one was only a smidgen better. And yeah, there's so many festivals going on in October. There's loads and loads that um, we need to delve into. But horror film fans, if you'd like to hear us moan about horror films, A, we've got an hour or so of it coming right up. And B, we and Ben will continue to review horror films, but spread throughout the year. <laughs> oh, I'm disappointed by this. I am not disappointed. I have made that executive decision that that is what we're going to be doing. I cannot do another Halloween special in this era. I'm afraid I just can't. Fair dues. Fair dues. But well, relish this one then. Relish this one. There's plenty of moaning to be done. Maybe mm. some good things may appear in this episode. We've got some names. We promised them. We've got Sorry some names. And uh, we're not even going to spoil what the names are because you can read the show notes and see the films. But also, you can listen to us talk about these names. Starting off, Ben, yeah. with an uh, almighty name. David Cronenberg, back back in the house. Um, this is Crimes of the Future. Uh, it is not David Cronenberg. 1970s Crimes of the Future. <laughs> Everyone needs is to this know your that. Crimes of the Future of the four decades? I, I, I'm not sure what he's doing. Um, I think he, he wanted to use the title Crimes of the Future for one of his other films. I don't know which one. I think he may have used it as a working title for another film. He did, not, back in the 70s, yeah. Okay, I'm not sure if he if he like, just likes the name Crimes of the Future or if there's a, an actual link between this Crimes of the Future and the 1970 Crimes of the Future. Um, I re-watched the 1970 Crimes of the Future before watching the 2022 Crimes of the Future starring Viggo Mortensen and Leah Seydoux. Um, and I, I feel like there are some kind of connections to them. Um, Crimes of the Future is David Cronenberg back in horror mode. You can't see me doing little bunny ears around my head because like David Cronenberg isn't really a horror director in the, no. the sense that a lot of people might know him. He's Not in the sense you, you may call horror, no. No, he's kind of invented his own universe. Yeah. About bodies and diseases and so on and so forth. So Crimes of the Future is not, it's not even like horror like The Fly or um, Scanners or, or The Brood or anything like that. It's something very different. I think I have come to Crimes of the Future probably a little bit more informed than other viewers might have because big fan of his last two films can i remember the names cosmopolis and maps to the stars both very talky very literary um not much happens is mainly people talking they're still very upsetting in their own way also read his book consumed which um is very similar in a way to the 2022 version of crimes of the future yeah um so Crimes of the Future is, I'm not even going to read the description. I'm just going to go from my brain because I owe you this one, Dave. Um, so we're, we're in the future and we're with Viggo Mortensen, who is Saul Tenser, um, a performance artist who feels pain in a future when humans no longer feel pain. So Saul lives with his uh, partner, Caprice. 
and they perform um, this kind of body horror performance art of surgery um, on on the like the only man in the world who can feel pain. Uh, we live in a world where surgery has become like the new sex. We also live in a world where Saul Tenser, Viggo Mortensen is producing new organs, which have never been seen before. Um, it is a film which needs some vo- some explanation at the beginning. It needs that exposition. We're in a world where no one feels pain except for Vigo. Also, he's growing organs. And performance art is a big thing here. And that funny chair that he's sitting in is aiding his digestion. Like, th- these are absolutely essential if you want to understand what's going on in this film. Yeah. And it is a very literary film. So Cronenberg has, he's, I've read a lot of interviews with him. He, he talked at length about a conversation he had with Salman Rushdie years ago, where Salman Rushdie um, was a big fan of cinema. David Cronenberg, whose, whose parents were both um, bookish, is a big fan of books. And Salman Rushdie and David Cronenberg were throwing back films and books, which couldn't exist in the other format. So Salman Rushdie is saying, you couldn't make a, a book of this film. And David Cronenberg's going, you couldn't make a film of this book. And they agreed on the fact that some books are meant to be books and some films are meant to be films. And David Cronenberg is in a place where he's kind of straddling books and films in a way. He's got this, it's a very literary style. He's kind of fallen in love with the word and dialogue uh, in a way that he really hadn't in his earlier films. If you go back and you watch Cronenberg's earlier films like Shivers, Rabid, The Brood, one of the things, the criticisms that people used to level at him was he didn't know how to direct actors. He couldn't get a performance out of his actors. They're all very wooden. The dialogue's really lumpen. And he's he's really come into a different place now where he's all about the actors and the dialogue and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. Viggo Mortensen grows new organs. Leah Seydoux cuts them out. People watch. There's also, as in a lot of kind of Cronenberg stuff, there's all these groups going on there's this kind of terrorist organization of people who are kind of eating plastic um it's okay it's not a film for everyone it's definitely aimed squarely at someone like me i enjoyed crimes of the future i didn't love crimes of the future um I, th- I thought its world building was marvelous. I always appreciate the production design of Carol Spear, his long-term collaborator. Um, I thought it was a shame that he's got a new DP for this film. Some of it looked a bit flat and a bit Canadian and kind of highlighting the fact that it's all filmed in a warehouse. Um, but yeah, Crimes of the Future for me... I get the feeling you didn't like it, so I'm not going to go on for too long, but it's it's a definite six out of ten in the David Cronenberg world for me. So you watched his two previous films and I enjoyed them. Yeah. This is my second only ever film from a young Cronenberg. And what was the, the one being The Fly uh... with the old Jeff Goldblum in it, and I enjoyed it very much. Everyone loves The Fly. I indeed. I remember renting it from a place where you could rent things from and also have a Ben and Jerry's for three pounds with it. Bloody hell. Uh, so I remember doing that very much. I rented the flight, took myself a cookie and cream ice cream Ben and Jerry's. Mm-hmm. Other ice creams with better ethics are available. Um, anyway, so yes, I remember enjoying that. I didn't quite know what to expect from watching this one. 
but I really didn't think I'd hate it as much as I did, Ben. Oh, Theo, uh, oh, Theo come on. Not a surprise, I'm sure. But in defence of this film, my relationship with American cinema is actually at an all-time low, to be fair. Um, can, can I'm, I'm just simply not interested in like the vast, vast majority of it anymore. Yeah. Um, especially when the film, this film's advertising, it's raison d'etre, as you were, yeah. is basically, look, it's Viggo Mortensen yeah. with digestive organs being grown. Yeah. Look, it's Leia Sadu being a bit weird. Yeah. Look, it's Christian Stewart being a bit weird. Yep. Like, I genuinely, personally, couldn't care less that Viggo Mortensen is wearing a black hoodie, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't care less that Christian Stewart can't get her words out quick enough because she's been a bit weird. Like, zero interest for me, Ben, in that side of things, and the film really, really relies on that. Mm. It's all about these famous people being a bit weird. Because as mm-hmm. you say, the world building is there, mm-hmm. Um some of it's okay, as you say. Some of it's maybe less so good. It's um, very wordy. It's too wordy for a horror film. We've talked about that. Be- well, again, we're we calling it a horror film. It is in the Halloween special. Um, it leans more towards horror than not. Um, yeah. But that being said, I couldn't do without the signposting here because it needs the signposting. It's absolutely essential. So, But that's not what I want from a horror film, Ben. So, uh, again, I'm automatically against it. Whilst I appreciate that I need it, I don't want it. Um, I don't want it in a film. I don't want it in most films, but I definitely don't want it in horror films. Uh, and that's a problem that, unfortunately, is littered throughout this episode, really. Um, as for the body stuff, from, I don't know if it's self-proclaimed, but someone's proclaimed him as the godfather of body horror. Yeah. Um, I don't know quite who or what was that came from, but he has done some other body stuff before. It's- yeah, it's. I think people are harking back to like Videodrome, even Shivers. Yeah, so yeah, it's done. It's done less than a handful. Um, other ones. Um, you know, I've seen this stuff before. It's been done by other people, and yes, Cronenberg was maybe some of the one of the first ones to do it regularly. But I have seen other films with body horror in it. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro does a lot of body horror. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is basically body horror for the most part. War horror and body horror, uh, and the connection between the two. Um, I'm not a fan of him anymore. Well, so it's not it's not as if right that's it then uh you know I've seen Del Toro movies therefore nobody else can do it I've moved on from Del Toro in my life because uh, I don't like American cinema I would prefer Mexican things he used to make but anyway um so yeah not a fan of him anymore but by definition I think the body horror things also turned me a bit cold whoever's done it yeah. um, or has it well I mean like the Cronenberg thing I the difference for me is that. In, in one interview Cronenberg gave, he was talking about how he understands how a, how a virus thinks. A virus is simply trying to survive. It doesn't it doesn't consider that it's killing the host that it's in. It's just trying to live. And Cronenberg's films are often about the kind of the the functionality of things, organs, diseases, yeah, yeah, and rather than about the human beings who are trying to fight these things, yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, absolutely, one hundred percent. And so the the fact that these main actresses and actors that we know from Hollywood films, glitz and glamour, and all that, um, they're just mere shells. They're yeah. they're just they're, they're just boring, weird people. Yeah. Um, not particularly outstanding performances, really. They just they just say their lines and, and move on to the next ones. It's but it's not about them. It's about the concepts of, as you say, the body stuff, how organs work, how digestive yeah. system works, and all the rest of it. And hey, we've got that coming later on as well. We do. Um, so there's a theme of bodies and f- bodies and food, really. 
and performance art. And performance I art. All the films in this episode are about exactly those things. I, I thought it was absolutely wild that David Cronenberg made a film about the future in which kind of 1960s performance art has kind of like come back. Everyone's filming with eight millimeter cameras again, which again, yeah. we, we will see that again. And I have to say, fun little side note, um, the kind of the, the effects centerpiece of Crimes of the Future is a performance art thing where a man has ears sewn kind of or grown all over his body. But he also has his eyes and his mouth sewn up as well. And fun little side note, I went to, I went to a performance art thing a long, long, long time ago where a man had his mouth sewn up. Um, in front of the audience we all kind of stood around and watched while it while it was done and then like 10 years later I found myself in a restaurant at some someone's birthday or something and I was sat next to people I didn't know so just kind of talking and chatting away and the guy next to me was talking about stuff and then he said oh you'll never believe it but I I uh I went to uh, this art thing years ago and I had my mouth sewn up by, by this guy and I was like bro I was there <laughs> it was so weird to see him so that was a fun moment for me because uh in the in crimes of the future because I was kind of like reliving this memory of going to this thing to see this guy's mouth sewn up not as far-fetched as it might seem I if thought. you dear listener have also seen somebody have their mouth thrown <laughs> together you would enjoy crimes of the future for the rest of us I don't think you would. I'm not recommending it. It's too wordy. It's too literary. It's not my thing, as I say. Whilst understanding that some people do still like American cinema, even those that listen to us, um, caution. However, what I would also say is most people that like him, that listen to us, have probably already seen this film anyway, so they don't even need us talking about it particularly. If you're a Cronenberg fan, you don't need us to say, don't watch it or do watch it. You would have seen it regardless. I hope so. Um, if there's anyone on the fence who like who liked Cosmopolis, liked Maps to the Stars, but is thinking, "Oh, do I want to watch a horror film?" It's basically Cosmopolis and Maps to the Stars, but with a little bit more gore. <laughs> a little bit. A Quite little a bit. bit. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm done with Cronenberg. Right. Uh, more body horror coming soon, but not quite yet. The cursed. We're going to move on to in the late nineteenth century. Brutal land baron Seamus Laurent slaughters an entire clan of Roma gypsies, unleashing a curse on his family and his village. In the days that follow, the townspeople are plagued by nightmares. Seamus's son, Edward, goes missing, and a boy is found murdered. The locals suspect a wild animal, but visiting pathologist John McBride... (laughs) John John McBride warns of a more sinister presence lurking in the woods. Ben... I didn't know such a thing existed as a Sunday afternoon horror film. Mm, sure but does. this is a Sunday afternoon horror film. It's like the woman in black. Yeah. yeah, this is a thing that exists and it's in this movie. Yeah. Which disappoints me only because it's directed by Sean Ellis. Mm-hmm. The British director who tends to make his films in countries outside of the UK, mm-hmm. including Metro Manila, which was the UK's foreign language Oscar nomination for 2013. Damn. I love that movie, Ben. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> In my previous Guys on Radio, we did that film and we both waxed lyrical about it on the waves. It was a great little foreign language film. Um, so I had high hopes for this werewolf horror film set in France. Um, bang average. 
basically. It's quite hammy in places. It's not particularly original. Um, but quite honestly, Ben, after my Crimes of the Future, literary kind yes. of exploration of bodies and stuff, I was actually absolutely in the mood for something so formulaic as The Cursed. Yes. And overall, I'm fine with this movie. It's actually my second favourite this month, Ben. Um, I like the lighting. There uh-huh. seems to be a permanent mist in this film, which uh, at this time of year particularly makes for a very good watch. And of course, it fits in with werewolves anyway. Um, but I want to shout out in particular more than that, Ben, the monster graphics in this movie. Yes. I liked them. There are quite a few memorable scenes for me, including yes. when they when uh, they capture one of these werewolves and you have live people still kind of milling around the werewolf's belly and stuff. It oh. looked very good. Yeah. Um, and that scene was, it, one of the scenes in particular was really, really great where it all got very messy, very loud and very... Uh, Quite effective for me. I was quite disturbed by it, so mission accomplished. Um, But also, more than anything else, context. I appreciate what this film is really about. It's about the class system in France, Mm. wealthy landowners, the bourgeoisie, Mm. uh, French being overrun by gypsies, immigrants, underclasses, lower classes, whatever. Good little bit of context in this movie, which is always important for a Theo. Um, But that's as positive as I want to be, really. It is, as I say, plenty hammy. Uh, a lot of the actors, I'm not sure how they even got in this movie. Particularly Seamus Lauren's wife. Yeah, she's horrific. She uh, She's very reminiscent of uh, Danny Minogue for some reason for me, Ben. And probably yeah. just as good an actress as she is. Yeah. Um, the ending was truly, truly dreadful. Yep. Truly, truly abysmal. Like I... one of the worst endings of any film that I've seen, of any genre, in the last five, ten years. I think I think um, I know the reason for this. Yeah, yeah, I know the reason as well. Um, but there's simply nowhere for it to go, basically. There's only certain things you can do. Um, even then, I'd like to have thought um, that they could have done something better than this. But it really, I haven't really got a huge lot else to say. It is, as I say, my second favourite, which is very, very... Um, speaks volumes for me about the rest, what we've got coming up. But um, yeah, The Cursed. Well, nicely Werewolves back. Would have liked things a bit better than this, though. Hmm. Yeah, the, you, you're right. This is a straight down the middle, formulaic, fun film, um, set in set and shot in France. Yeah, I don't understand that aspect of it because everyone is giving giving it the largest British accents all the way along. I thought that was a, a funny thing. Why not just set it in England and then film it in France? Considering that it's in Metro Manila, everyone was speaking Tagalog. That's the that language would, of the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, that would yeah. make a hell of a lot. So, yeah, it, it, that, that, that was a huge disappointment for me. Yeah. Yes. The the enormous plus of this film, uh, which it, it kind of will it will allow you to forgive a whole bunch of other things, is the, the lighting and the photography of this yeah. film. Um, DP'd by Sean Ellis himself. Yeah. It features some of the most gorgeous use of candles and fog at various points. Lanterns as well. It's yeah. It's just very well done. It's very well shot. Um, it belies its budget in a major way. It looks glorious at times. Um, it's a straight. It reminded me a lot of. Um, I'm forgetting the name now. That um, that French werewolf movie with uh, with your man. Oh God. <laughs> anyway, Jean Reno. Um, completely spacing on the name. Or Christophe Gans, maybe. Anyway, reminded me of that. 
very straightforward. Um, there's werewolf in your little town. Outsider has come to clean it up. None of this film is helped whatsoever by the prologue, the World War One prologue, um, yes. because it, it's confusing. Um, it looks very expensive and it feature if you're paying any attention whatsoever, then about like just past the halfway mark of this film, you suddenly know what's going to happen at the end. And the rest the way the rest of the film plays out is just enormously disappointing because of that. You know where it's going now. Um, I thought that was a really weird choice. I'm really not sure why they decided to start with that prologue. Um, and then just wrap things up the way they did. Shrapnel, so, shrapnel that's not quite the normal shrapnel. That's that's what should we, should we say on that? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then that weird kind of, I don't know, no spoilers, but that weird kind of children's movie ending um with photos i'll just say with photos and yeah and, and john and john mcbride being a bit sinister really i don't know but yeah the, this is um this is definitely a sunday afternoon horror movie it's it's like the woman in black or um something like that it's it's got it really does that kind of or the others maybe the others yes it's uh big house in the countryside um posh people and poor people <laughs> yes um yeah the the local roma community um it's yeah it's it's very well done um you you can feel the subtext quite clearly um it never goes too far with any of that it keeps both feet firmly in entertainment land all the way through this film is it's nothing but entertaining all the way through i can see a lot of people liking this film it's not great um it looks great uh some of the performances are whack um john mcbride John (laughs) john mcbride's accent had me it's one of those things where I'm just sitting there trying to guess where the actor is from for the entire movie and itching to go onto IMDb and look him up and find out. I I was like, is he South African? Is he Australian? Is he... No, he's American, turns out. Boyd Holbrook. Live and learn. Um, yeah, it's fine. Absolutely fine. This film um, did not make me feel sick, did not inspire me. No. Absolutely not. It, it, it's it's lit. It's such an archetypal horror film. Like, yeah. um, but again, I'll, I'll quite honestly, uh, deadly seriously, give me this over new age horror films. Uh-huh. Seriously, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I wouldn't want to watch five of these, but I, I, I'll watch one of these. I don't want to watch one new age horror film. Not okay. one. Okay. So uh, th- give me this, and then that's it. I'm done. I've had my itch scratched, as it were. Put me back on horror TV, please. For the most part, more of that later. But yeah when we have our little rant section at the end. But anyway, um, is there honestly anything else to say? I, I don't think so. It's fine. It's absolutely yeah, it's fine. Absolutely fine. If, you, if you're craving wolves, oh, jump on it. I'll, t- I'll say one more thing, actually, about The Cursed, because like we might come back to this. Remember when you could just put kids in a film? <laughs> remember we, we are most definitely coming back to this. <laughs> remember when you could just put children in a film and they could behave like children instead of behaving like not run the mouth yeah yeah weird little hot housed um acting school things like i miss those days i do wish that the cursed featured um children a cast of children who weren't quite so stage schooly perhaps quite so like all these little kids they've got like wicked cool haircuts and stuff like you're a peasant child what's up with this if if the best example of that is when you watch the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory versus the Johnny Depp one. 
Yes. The, 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 how a generation of children have been taught how to act is absolutely mind-boggling. Like, it's, well, it's yeah. not, it's not, not in the sense of I don't know what's going on, but just the transition of how it's changed over the decades. Really it's just a hell of a thing. It really um, is. And, and, for, and, and for horror, it's absolutely awful. Genuinely yeah. awful. More about yeah. that soon. Right, yeah. Ben, what have we got next? We've got another name here. <sighs> we've, got, we, we've got Julia Ducorno. Um, yeah. We are going to France, Theo's favourite country of cinema. <laughs> And we have the winner of the Palm Door, Titan. Um, Titan. I need. I need to kind of lead into this film a little bit. So Titan. It's we've we, we've all seen this film before. It's a story about a, a kind of like an exotic dancer who has sex with a car, gets pregnant, kills a bunch of people, runs off and pretends to be the son of a man whose son went missing years ago and then lives with him as a fireman. It's kind of like, you know, we've all seen this movie before. Um, this is Julia Ducorno's second film after Raw. Um, it is what you would class as new French extremism, yep. um, which, which I am a big fan of. Um, I'm a big fan of new French extremism. I'm a big fan of films with complicated um unsympathetic central female characters um i'm a fan of cinema which doesn't play by the rule book mm-hmm. um does something different i i feel like i'm squarely in this kind of like you like seven circle venn diagram of people who might enjoy the film titan um right in the middle that's that's me sitting there and i absolutely hated every second of Titan. Um, it was not a film for me at all. I was very, very, very upset by it. And a lot of people might say, well, that's the whole point of Titan. I've seen it. It's an upsetting film. It's coming from a place of anger. Julia DeCorno has said it's, it's, a, it's, it, she came up with the idea when she thought the world was on fire and falling apart and no one had any empathy for each other. And she wanted to make a thing of pure rage and anger. But I just really hated this film um i i'm i'm i have so many questions for it i don't know who this film is for mm-hmm. um if, if this is your film of the month i apologize but i don't know who this film is for i i was utterly perplexed i thought like if we i, th- I thought i was going to be challenged by this unsympathetic central female character in the film but for a lot of the film, well, she, we kind of play up male fantasy images a lot. And not that I'm gonna, not that I'm gonna say what this film should and shouldn't do, but I, that really surprised me. I was very surprised that the opening ten minutes of this film is just women shaking their bums in front of cars. I thought that that, that was a surprise. Um, and then as the film plays out, and I, I want to be wrong. If anyone is listening to this and they're like, "No, Ben, you've completely got the wrong idea about this film," please tell me. But as the film went on, it seemed to be a film about a woman who's on a quest for um, for love and affection from a father figure, wanting approval from from a father. Um, and that I just I like what kind of a world is it where we're making movies where that's the message of a film like Titan? I don't Whilst know. Whilst being dressed as a man for the most part. Whilst by the being way. dressed as a man for most of it. I just, so, okay. So we're, so we're following our lead actress, Agatha Roussel, who says like 10 words in this film. <laughs> yes. Like 10 words. <laughs> um, she, she does a dance. She kills one of her fans. She has sex with a car. She kills a bunch of people. It's very upsetting and unpleasant. Seems to be being played for laughs. Yeah. 
Um, and she's got this weird relationship with her father. So she was in a car crash when she was a little kid. She, she had to have surgery. She had to have a metal plate put in her head. And now she has a weird, stilted, quiet relationship with her father. She leaves her father and she goes off. And then she finds the star of the film. Vincent Landon, who is this, this father who lost his kid 10 years ago. Badass firefighter. Yeah, badass firefighter. She <laughs> she smashes her face up, shaves her head, and she turns up, hi, I'm your son, this woman who's pregnant. And you think, well, this is going to go down great, isn't it? And then Vincent Landon becomes the star of this film. Agatha Roussel is no longer the star of the film. Um, this Vincent Landon is your only sympathetic character in this film. He's he without going into too much spoilers. He's on screen at the very end of the film. No one else is, um, and he becomes the locus of this whole film. The whole mm-hmm. film comes about Vincent Landon, the the terror that he's been through, the kind of pain, the difficulty of his life, how he's struggling, how he's just kind of looking for anyone to cling to, um, and she kind of falls by the wayside, and the the whole having <laughs> having sex with the car and being pregnant thing is kind of by the by. Um, I just didn't understand. Okay. And then also how we're shot. So <sighs> new French extremism or just like great cinema in general, it's, it's filmed with a kind of philosophy. So, you know, whether or not you like crimes of the future, it's filmed in a particular way. Or if you, yeah. if, you, if yeah. you sit down and you watch, I mean, Gaspar Noe is the first example that comes to mind. He he he's decided how a scene is going to be covered, and then he sticks to it, and he doesn't deviate. And that's that's kind of like what great filmmaking is about: is you make a decision about how you're going to film stuff. You have a theme to how you're going to film stuff as well. What kind of lenses you use, your distance, your movements, and all that kind of stuff. Titan feels like we're just covering a scene whatever way however we'll just do this one in medium we'll do this in one wide we'll do this, do this one. it feels like you're watching a kind of a tv christmas movie at times like there's like no thought has gone into how it looks whatsoever and again i'm, I'm sure people will disagree with this strongly the only thought process that seems to be behind how this film looks comes in the lighting which is it, it's Again, aping Benoit Debbie, which we see all the time. Someone's put a bunch of pink and blue and green lights around, and th- that seems to be what we're doing. And I just, just, I was just hungry for this film to just find its own way of telling a story with pictures. It just, it felt stale and done, and I, I just couldn't tell who this film was for. I, re- I really did not enjoy this film, Theo. I gather that. Um, I strongly disagree about the theme. And I'll come on to that in a bit. Um, To be honest, I'm quite relieved. (laughs) Because this is my film of the month, but I don't want to watch it again. Um, But I don't want want to watch any of these five films again. I legitimately do not want to see any of these five films again. Um, This ain't as good as Raw. Have you seen Raw, by the way? Raw is on my shelf, and I've been meaning to watch it for years. Yeah, Raw's great great because it's um, there's a lot going on in the background, which I won't... The, the listeners will know about it, but you won't. I won't spoil it. I won't spoil it. But it's all to do with the feminine nature of things. Garrett anyway. Marie, she was she was the highlight for of Titan for me. She plays yeah. Justine. She's in the film for what four minutes. Yeah. Um. She was by far the standout for me, and so I I would be eager to see Raw. Yeah, Raw is Raw is better than this. Um. And actually, but one thing I definitely agree with what you said is the divisiveness. Um. And the Academy would agree with you, Ben. Because this was hotly tipped to do well for the foreign language Oscar in uh, 2022. 
how on earth could it have got any further than it did, which was the semi-finals? In fact, I don't think it even reached the semi-final stage. Ben, it may have done, I'm not sure, but it certainly didn't reach the final shortlist. How can you? There's self-harming in this movie. How can yeah. the Academy approve that? Yeah. There's there's mutilation. There's there's, there's lots of murder, um, dressing up as different genders and stuff. Like it, It's not stuff that, that the Oscars... Um, likes to kind of promote, shall we say, um, unless the, they make it themselves. Yeah, the attempted abortion scene. Attempted um, abortions. Um, as I said, yeah, there's. When you watch this film, it does make sense why it didn't really do much at the foreign language Oscars because what what bit could the clip? I mean, strapping tits to yourself <laughs> so you look like a man. I mean, what 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 actual having sex in the car? I mean, it's even if you watch the trailer, there's so little from the film that they could safely put in the trailer. No. Um, that they they couldn't because they've they've had to blur out some of the shots. In they the still have the Oscars mentality of it being a family orientated thing, yeah. um, and you literally have to cover your kids' eyes when this announcement of it being in the final shortlist and the clip plays for the crew and the audience and everything. They have to cover their eyes because there's something there. Anyway, look. So um, yeah, for me, it's not a great film. For me, I, I enjoyed it more than anything else by far. Um, I would call it a very good film. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, Ben, this is why. And this is the oh. only film that really did it. Go. What is any horror film's number one mission? And the, no, folks, it's not to scare people. Like, we really need to stop saying things like that now. It's too um, obvious to you. It's, t- it, it's too obvious. We've all... It's, a lot of us are grown up and can't even be scared about anything anyway. Um, no, it's not about being scared. That's not a horror film's number one thing. A horror film's number one thing is how effective it is at suspending the audience's disbelief. And in doing so, some people can get scared. Yeah, I don't personally haven't done for about I don't know a decade or something. But um, if you can suspend an audience disbelief in a horror film where you know you're going to see some shit that isn't real, you know you're going to see some stuff that is actually fictitious. Werewolves don't exist, ladies and gents. <laughs> uh, there's loads of stuff that doesn't exist. All of crimes of the future is an entire suspension of disbelief. Like not nearly all of it isn't true mm. uh, ever. Um, so for me, this film does a really, really good job of suspending disbelief. Mm-hmm. And for that to work, you need lots of things to go well. You need performances and you need a consistency of theme. You need a consistency of design. So this this is where we completely disagree. Mm. The film for me is basically black, blue, red and white all mm. the way through. Uh, you've got the theatre stuff, not the, not the theatre stuff, the show stuff at the beginning. You've got the fire engine things yeah you've got fire engine uniforms you've got the black stuff coming out of alexia all the time oh yeah you've got strobe lighting as i said like mm-hmm. every step of the way of this movie for me makes sense visually it's ambulance colors fire engine colors and black basically um it's all the way through like, I don't actually remember any green lights that you mentioned, but if they were there, fair enough, yeah. I don't remember they're, any. They're in there, I promise. Um, but yeah, blue, red, white, and black for me. And of course, three of those colours are in the French flag, so very, very well done there. Um, so yeah, that helped a lot for me. Obviously, you weren't able to get on board with that, so it maybe explains why you just didn't get on with it, or one part of it. Um, it's the world, though, despite the fact it's about suspension of disbelief, and about the fact it's just got these four colours in it, it's a plausible world to me, Ben. Mm, like, it is, no, the, un- unarguably. The titillation at the beginning is very plausible. The fact that a woman would do this is actually quite plausible, particularly yeah. in the age of uh, non-binary genders and that kind of thing, extremely plausible. 
Um, women murdering people, that's plausible. Yep. Um, there's all sorts of things in this movie that work. So, you know, that's all the good stuff I want to talk about, really. I've enjoyed all the things I've just said. The reason it's not a great film, and the reason that despite it being film of the month, I'm extremely relieved you don't have the same opinion, so we don't have to watch this again in front of, <laughs> in front of even greater pieces of art that we'll be talking about in December, is when you actually break the film down into what happens in this movie, you've got murderer on the run, yeah. changes the appearance, yeah. gets passed off as somebody's son, yeah. joins another family, yeah. the wife of that new, the wife of the husband returns and ignores the truth, yeah. The husband then ignores the truth himself and the murderer gives birth. Yeah. When you actually break it down that way, it's a really unremarkable film. <laughs> it promises to be this epic, like transcendent thing where it's got all these thousands of messages and comments, social realism, gender realism, gender politics, whatever else is going on, I thought be in this movie. Mm. None of it's here. It literally is pretty much what both of us have said is in this movie. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the lack of contextual stuff in this. Yes, there could well be um, non-binary stuff that I've just mentioned. Yet that could be one of the big things in this film. And as you said, yes, it could be about the world going to shit and all the rest of it. Mm. All of that, yeah, maybe. But really, we've we've seen so many greater films that have got so much... even the cursed has better context than this. Like yeah. it, it really, it, really does, and that's a thoroughly average horror film. It, it um, just Titan just feels deeply conservative at its core, which, yeah. which I found really upsetting. Like it, it's not it. Like the stuff that you're seeing on screen is subversive and and wrong and upsetting and stuff. But running through this film like a stick of rock is a deeply conservative message, um, and I, left me so confused. My favourite scene in this film, and it's actually another major reason, actually, I've neglected in my positives about this movie. Yeah. A little bit of humour, Ben. The Macarena is, scene. Yeah, the, yeah, the Macarena scene. And I thought we were going to have a callback to that, and we didn't. But yeah, the Macarena scene was 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 funny, definitely. That, but it's the, it's the, I mean, I may be wrong. We may have different senses of humour, but it's the only laugh I had all, all episode, really. It's also the bit where she um, meets the black guy at the house. Yes, Leon. In the beginning, that's 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 a genuine laugh out loud moment. But the Macarena is absolutely, is absolutely brilliant. The fact that he gets the words wrong, it doesn't matter. It's just fantastic. But yeah, as you say, star of the film, him. Yeah, um, Van Sant like he just he even when you go and watch a trailer, Van Sant gets gets top billing. Good old Van Sant. Good old Van Sant. Right. So yeah, for me, what we've got here is a mainstream director, Julia mm-hmm. Ducournau. We can say that now. Raw kind of put her into people's horizons, but now with this. Winning the Palm Door and everything. Yeah, she's a mainstream director now. Mm. Um, I'm quite happy to watch her next film, to be honest with you, Ben. And, and I think you might be the same having watched Raw when you do. I will um, watch Raw. I will. I, there I'll is see. too much talent to be ignored here. Um, there, maybe not for you in this one, but in general, um, I'd rather watch her than nearly all other, and I mean nearly all other mainstream directors. Mm. Um, I'm ready for the next one. Um, okay. I'd say, not surprised about the foreign language Jessica thing. Uh, did you have a party of the month from this movie? I, well, yeah, perhaps I did. It, it was okay. a, it was the firefighters party. The firefighters, um, uh, yeah, I loved that scene. Lots of aggressive man music, man things. I like that. I guess I was so I was so angry by the time we got to the firefighter scene. I was so mad. I was sitting there watching Titan, watching minute after minute flick by. The, also, my prop of the month, Ben, is here. 
Uh, I, I did uh, like the sex in the car scene. I have to admit, um, sex in the car scene was well done. Proper, the, proper the year, proper the month has got to be the chopstick. Uh, nope, it is the bouncing car um, ah. because the chopstick actually ha- it, it loses its way halfway through. It's, got, it's actually yeah. got nothing to do with the plot, really. Yeah. Um, but the bouncing car, you could also argue, has got nothing to do with the plot because I completely ignore it. But in fairness, like the reason she's carrying around something um, is because she has sex in a car, and they need to make it bounce. Um, yeah. And they're doing it in a fun way, actually. It's not just a gentle... It's not like a gentle kind of um, brum. You know, it's not brum just going up the cobbled bridge. It's it's actually... And that's one for the UK listeners. Can you imagine this film with brum? <laughs> <laughs> Some black just dripping out of his eye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's not good. No, that would be a horror film. Um, anyway, um, brum. <laughs> just simply called brum. That'd be amazing. Anyway, yeah, that's I, I like that scene. It's a really well-made scene. Yeah. Um, although I was as tempted as I was, is to come up with a prop from the Macarena scene. Um, yeah. There isn't really a prop there, so like, I had to do the bouncing car thing. But anyway, look again, not massively infused with it. Don't really want to see it again. Um, sadly, it is my sadly, 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 but also gladly, it's my film of the month. Um, so we can just ignore this episode and move on to the rest of the films for the rest of the year, basically, um, including more films in this episode, starting with film title of the year. Yes. Um, and we said that it would be. We, I think we mentioned this title before on a different episode, how excited we were and all the rest of it, purely because of the title. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, what a title it is. Flux Gourmet. Strickland, take a bow for the title, please. Uh, a group of experimental, and here's a name, Peter Strickland, of course. A group of experimental performance artists known for their process of, quote-unquote, sonic catering, bracket, where they extract disturbing sounds from various foods, close bracket, take up residency at a remote artistic institution run by an enigmatic director. An outsider is tasked with recording the day-to-day rituals of the group, only to discover that he is slowly becoming part of their collective himself, whilst embroiled, embroiled, in power struggles, artistic vendettas, and most of all, Ben, gastrointestinal disorders. Yes. Um, I mean, that is a hell of a synopsis, to be fair. Uh, ben. Yeah. We've often discussed how Peter Strickland films need to be 10% better. Yes. I've yes. always disagreed with you. Yes. And I'm going to disagree with you again. Ah. Uh... Flux Gourmet doesn't need to be 10% better, Ben. It needs yeah. to be 100% better. Ooh, hot take. <laughs> This film is trash. Okay. And it's officially the first ever Strickland film that I'm not going to recommend or talk about positively in any way, shape, or form. Okay. The main reason for that is the lack of focus for me. This is the first time that a Peter Strickland film is completely unfocused. For example, the wonderful, the delightful, the insurmountable Barbarian Sound Studio. Yeah. It was all about Jello Cinema from Italy. Yeah. Uh, the Dukes of Burgundy, lesbian relationship with entomological allegories, Ben. Mm. Loved it. This film, for me, nothing. It's just a bunch of highfalutin pontificators. What don't I like in films, Ben? I don't like pontificators. Really don't. Um, Talking and doing absolute nonsense. It's sort of about sonic catering, but not really. It's sort of about literature, more than anything, but not really. It's sort of about art, but not really. Um, it's all in there, that stuff. But again, like Titan and like God knows how many other films recently, it seems, 
doesn't really go anywhere with it, doesn't really do much, doesn't have a commentary about it. It's quite conservative in some ways, mm. which I'd understand more from Strickland because he is a conservative British person mm. on account of him being British, of course, uh, as opposed to Julia that's French and I thought might have something more to say, but not really. Um, so, yeah, not really sure really what his key focus was about that Strickland does need because he isn't a truly great filmmaker. He's a good <laughs> filmmaker. And uh, the fact that he does different stuff all the time is great, mm-hmm. but it needs that focus that was lacking for me. So all in all, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, and in fairness, very, 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 very few directors can make films that are simply different. Yes. Yes. And yes. it and it and and, and when I mean simply different, just be different, and that's it. Not different plus context. Not different plus commentary. Not different plus this or that. This film is different. It looks different, feels different. Although there is that sort of like vibrated echo noise constantly throughout this film, which is a Strickland special. Like all mm-hmm. of his all of his films seems to have that like vibration echo thing going on in the background. Yeah. But but no, this is don't get me wrong, a different movie. But for what what actual benefit is it different? And I couldn't quite get the benefit of it for me. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to recommend this. I am going to recommend other Strickland movies, but not this one. Um, there's more to say, but uh, over to you on this one. Yeah. So yeah, just to elaborate on my 10% better Peter Strickland thing. So when I say 10% better, I'm talking about each kind of individual element of filmmaking. Absolutely. So, the, the, the hair and makeup needs to be 10% better. The costume needs to be 10% better. The lighting needs to be 10% better. The acting 10% better. The, like every aspect of his films, I feel, because he's going for this kind of artificial um, 70s throwback. Uh, art house. Yeah, art house kind of look. And uh, I just feel all the time that every aspect of the whole film needs to be 10% better. Um, I just like he's he's sitting there using Fatma Muhammad time and time again. I'm just like I'm sitting here going, Peter, just give Fatma the lead role in your <laughs> goddamn movie. Just have her smoking and talking throughout the film, and I will be happy. And that's exactly what happened with Flux Gourmet. This is the Peter Strickland film that is at at the most for me needs to be four percent better. In oh right, movie. it's gone up six. Excellent. It's, this was by far my film of the month this month. I absolutely adored it. And I, 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 I adored it for all the reasons that you hated it. I, I adored its pointlessness and um, its randomness. The fact that it's about a group of sonic caterers who are at a residency in this big house and they're being, they're being bankrolled by Gwendolyn Christie, who's just bizarre and her name is Jan Stevens, and everyone calls her Jan Stevens all the time. That just cracked me up. Um, I love the the pointlessness of these. What is this thing? What are they doing? How have you made a film about food? And all of the food is utterly repellent throughout this entire movie. I don't know. How have you made a film with Arthur Butterfield, where Ben thinks Arthur Butterfield's actually quite good? What's, what's that about? Oh, I don't know. I mean, she's still got the eyes of Butterfield struggling to get her lines out thing. But the, the, I, I was really impressed with him. I was like, what's going on? But the, the really, the key for this film for me was Fatma Mohammed giving her the lead role, having her in almost every single scene. I just loved it. Um, I loved the, I loved some of the kind of formal structural elements of it. So Fatma Mohammed is in a, a band, if you want to call it, of Sonic Caterers. And they, they, I don't know, they were, they're, they're amplifying the sounds of food and preparation and whatever, and then like blasting it out. And it's her 
Famine Mohammed, Arthur Butterfield, and oh god, what's her name? Um, the actress from the Yorgos Lanthimos films, Ariane um, Labed. That's the one. Um, they are they are in the band, and we've got this formal structure where we start with an interview. I think it starts with an interview with uh, Fatma Mohammed, and then we move into Arthur Butterfield, and then we finally have um, uh, Ariane at the end. And um, I just really, really loved this film. I love the pointlessness of it. I love the performance art aspect of it. Um, I was blown away by the fact that Crimes of the Future and Flux Gourmet, um, two films that we had, and they're both about performance art, which is such a 60s throwback element to make a film about. I even loved the like the weird little scenes with Gwendolyn Christie doing some kind of like hypnosis shopping thing, getting mm-hmm. the cast to walk around. I loved what I'm going to presume is a, a reference to the film, well, to the Les, Vamp- Les Vampires, I think. It's like a 1920s French serial movie which featured a character called Irma Vep who was dressed in leather and would rob people. And we've got our central cast here dressing like that as well. We've got this group of food terrorists um, terrorizing Gwendolyn Christie because she didn't give them a residency. Like this film is just so wonderfully pointless. Like it's it's such a bizarre, pointless world of pointless people doing pointless things. I just really loved it, and I really I really warm to everyone. But like more than anything else, it's Fatma Mohammed in the center of this film with that voice that she's got giving her performances, smoking moments of the month time and time again. Every time Fatma's on screen. I just really loved it. Um, yeah, it, it just hit all the right notes for me in a way that no Strickland film has really done before. I was um, I was giddy as a schoolgirl watching this. Absolutely loved it. Um, I have spoken to lots of Peter Strickland fans since watching this film, and they are a hundred percent with you. This is their weakest Peter Strickland film by a country mile. Um, so that's kind of interesting for me. Um, the what I'm looking for from a Peter Strickland film is is not what other people are it's looking for. It's utter pointlessness. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for from a Strickland film. Well, because like I, d- I don't. P- Peter Strickland is kind of he's he's made a career out of weirdness and mood. That's kind of like those. Oh are his God, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So why not just lean all the hell into weirdness and mood? Um, just just loved it. Um, I, I loved it. work. <laughs> me it's for me this is this is this is what edgy cinema is about it, it doesn't feel like it needs to entertain you or tell you a story um it's just going to be weird for the sake of being weird Gl- glorious international cast in here um what what you might call a euro pudding in some respect I, i'm glad you said that actually uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, we've got Greece, we've got Romania, we've got France, we've got, we've got Wales, we've got everyone in here. Um, I just really loved this film. Um, I would thoroughly recommend this to everyone who has felt that Peter Strickland's films up till now have been a little lacking. That's what I do. And I'm, I'm aware of the paradox here and the contrarianness here, but I just, I genuinely loved this film. I really, it made me laugh. Um, it fascinated me. I loved the soundscape to it. It just, it it was like, for me, this film was a big, warm, sticky hug. It was definitely sticky. <laughs> um, and, and for those of you that like me that think film is a storytelling medium, I don't recommend this movie. <laughs> um, anyway, look, performances, yeah. Uh, I, I was fine with some of them. Um, Ariane Lebed, you've mentioned her, Lanthiamos and things. 
Yeah. Um, I, again, I don't like the intellectual claptrap that was coming out of her mouth and she couldn't quite get her words out again. She, um, no, she, she was the weakest of the main cast. It's really yeah. hard to take whatever she was saying seriously when she couldn't get her words out. For yeah. me, we've got, we've, got, um, we've got a French firefighter theme here. Yeah. Richard Bremer saves this film for me, Ben. That's Richard true. Bremer. This is Rich- interesting because I'd never heard of this guy before. Who is he? I've seen him before. Um, yeah. I'm sure I've seen him in a Strickland before, unless I'm completely mistaken. Yeah, um, you're right. I, I, I'd never seen him before, and like because he was he was in it so much, he becomes tedious. Like, yeah, well, don't get yeah. me wrong, he does become tedious. But for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, he does amuse me with his constant literature reference. What do you mean you haven't read X, Y, Z? Yes, <laughs> very yeah. funny. However, Ben, I do draw the line here, and I, 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 I made one cast member that I just won't tolerate. Yeah, Makis Papadimitriou, also known as the poor man's Greek, Toby Jones. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's don't fun- give me half a Toby Jones. I want the English type, the full creamed, I mean, full bodied English yeah. Toby Jones, not the half baked poor man's Greek Toby Jones. Man. He's like the he's like the only normal person in this film. And I don't like it. Toby Jones would have been awesome being normal, like for once. Because there's always a little bit of a sinister weirdness when he when Toby yeah. Jones is normal. This yeah. was just normal for the sake of boring. He's, he's so normal, and like, and he's our narrator. He's exactly. telling the story. Exactly. No, I didn't, I didn't get on with Macis at all. Um, oh fuck! I hate this film. Just thinking about it now. <laughs> I wish we hadn't mentioned Toby Jones because now I'm angry. Yeah, where, where was Toby Jones in this movie? He spent the money on Gwendolyn Christie, Arza Butterfield for sure. Those, and, those are and big, Ariane Labed. Yeah, a little bit on Ariane Labed for sure. But um, but, but yeah, getting the get non-EU actors coming over has <laughs> cost yes. all the money. Yes. Um, oh god. Um, dear me. No, in just oh that. No, I wish I literally have been. My podcast have been ruined by the thought of a of a half baked, uh, <laughs> skimmed Greek version of Toby Jones. Like just, to, I think you know, Ben. I think everyone knows. If we ever do another Toby Jones film, it's automatically a film of the month. Most um, likely, he's a, he's an extraordinary man. Oh, he's a he's a he's a beautiful man, a wonderful yeah. actor, and a, an exceptional human being. And yeah. he needed to be in this, and he needed to be in the next one as well, which he wasn't, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what have we got to finish off the episode with in terms of the reviews then, Ben? What have we got? Hang on a minute. We've got some foreign language again. Well, uh, no, that's what you think, but it's not foreign language. This is this is four nations. This is Wales. Indeed, yes. <laughs> come, come um, this is The Feast. Um, it is a horror film filmed in Welsh, set in Wales, um, telling the story of uh, a family getting ready for a meal. More they, food, you're joking. Not again. More food. <laughs> well, we, we've got the themes running through these films are astonishing. So we're at a, a pretty gorgeous house in the Welsh countryside with a dysfunctional family getting ready for this meal, and they've invited the help to come along. Um, the help is late, and the help just wanders up the lane, and the help is the help is a little bit odd and a little bit weird. And if, if you've ever seen a horror movie before, you'll know what's going on in this movie. Um, it is a film of two halves. I'll say that. We've got the first half set in the daytime where everyone's kind of getting ready for the meal. The dad's just been out hunting. He's killed uh, two rabbits. Um, the two sons are both home because the two sons have committed 
transgressions which have meant they've been brought home and kept home one of them is a, a, a sex offender of some description the other one is a, a drug abuser and we've got a very kind of uptight brittle mum trying to hold it all together um, hoping that her dinner party goes really well and then you've got the second half of the movie which all takes place at night um, and which is the the meal and the kind of unraveling of everything and this is um it's is it the first feature from lee haven jones um or the first horror feature from lee haven jones uh it, yes it's certainly one of the if if not the only ever welsh language horror film if i'm not mistaken or at least one of the very very few ones okay um and it does that classic horror movie thing of take 10 people to um, a house in the countryside and then chop them all up like physically or metaphorically it's a, just a, a, a nice easy place to start your horror film your journey in cinema um and I really enjoyed the first half of the feast. I had a lot of fun. Um, I thought the tone was fantastic. I, whenever I sit down to watch a film which has been shot in the UK, I'm a little edgy. I'm a little scared because I feel like I'm just not going to like this at all. Um, but I really enjoyed the first half of this movie a lot. Um, I thought a lot of that is probably down to the work from the DP, Bjorn Bratberg. Well said. Who, who is Norwegian, yep. and I, he's, I think he's given this film a non-UK look. That would yep. be my guess. Um, Bjorn Bratberg has uh, a dolly and a slider, and he's going down this corridor time and time again. He, he, he loves that move. But it works. Um, the film looks really, really lovely. The second half of the movie, the kind of where everything starts to untangle a little bit, um, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. So the hands are revealed. Um, I didn't hate it, but it, it was it was less successful for me. Um, I kind of liked where it was all going, and then when it comes to play out its its final bits, I kind of found myself a little bit frustrated that people were kind of going off into a room next door and something terrible would happen. And, you know, every, everyone's next door just having a meal. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's very much um, the Welsh language aspect I thought was great. Like really, really good. I thought it worked really, really well. Um, perhaps it was the fact that it was Welsh language that stopped me from feeling like, Oh no, I'm watching a, another British film. Um, I wasn't quite able to, you know, when you watch a British film, you're just kind of like, whenever anyone speaks, you know where they're from. You know the what, postcode of the you know, postcode. <laughs> you know their, their kind of class background. You know what kind of school they went to, and you kind of know where they fit into the structure of everything around them. And it's kind of exhausting and tiring. Um, and I didn't get that in the feast. I couldn't really tell, like if someone was new money or old money or, uh, or I, I, I couldn't really tell so much. It was, it was like watching a French movie. I was, all of that was kind of blank for me. I really liked it. Um, I thought the performances were really pretty good on the whole. Um, yeah, yeah, your businessman who turns up for dinner, whose his name is like Euro or something. Yeah. Um, he, he was my weak link in this whole film. Um, everyone else I thought was good. I thought um, Anna Selwy as Caddy, the help who turns up, I thought she was just great. Um, I really enjoyed her. Um, I liked one of the sons and I didn't like the other one. And I thought that I, I, my heart opened for the dad in this film because like he's just playing a bit of a dick. 
all the way through the film and it's just like i just picture the actor going what is it about my face that always lands me these kind of roles where i'm just a kind of a bit of a dick in these movies um it's it's nothing new in a way you've kind of no, you've seen no. this film before yeah, yeah it's well done um and it it kind of takes a few things to interesting places it doesn't do some things i thought it was going to do mm-hmm. which i was disappointed by it does some things i wasn't quite expecting which i was entertained by it's pretty gross at times it there certainly was, can be there were a few moments when i had to watch this through my fingers um uh, on the whole, I don't know, 6.5 out of 10. I, I, I had yeah. a fun time. Really, really, really enjoyed the first half a lot. Um, second half was kind of like, it, it, I felt like I'd kind of seen that film before. It was kind of a bummer at the very, very end. Mm-hmm. But other other than that, yeah, sure. I had fun at Lee Haven Jones's The Feast. Yeah, that's this would be my third favorite then um yeah, yeah it out of five that that's like a bronze medal literally isn't it that's that's fine um yeah, yeah i'm glad you said i'm glad you shouted that beyond starley blattberg for the cinematography really and good. DPing. it was a very handsome film very yeah i also want to uh, credit the director who's very clearly been watching von trier and michael haneke ben oh, yeah. boy did i love the operatic opening Oh yeah. boy, oh boy, that 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 tickled my pickle, chap. Talking yeah. about food and other things, wowzers, body yeah. parts in that, indeed. Right, excellent. Love the operatic opening. Unfortunately, after that, it just didn't quite do it for me. Um, the mm. film is meant to be an hour and a half long, and is an hour and a half long. Crossed on a bike, it felt like it was three hours for me. It's the second half. Yeah, it the, the pacing is just totally off. Uh, mm. I think it, 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 it yeah. I, I I don't often do this, but I flicked so I could see what time the film was at, so I could, so it flashed up on screen. Like yeah. I really really struggled with the pacing of this movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But also, the biggest problem of all, the film's mm. called The Feast. Mm. Starts off talking about the feast, laying mm-hmm. out the furniture, laying out mm-hmm. the cutlery, talking about the feast, who's yeah. coming, what's going to, like all this kind of stuff. I know you. Know, I know it's going to kick off. I know you're not normal family. I know there's all sorts of shit going on locally on the mm. outside. When you actually get to the chapter entitled "The Feast," mm. it's surprisingly uneventful, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it, if, if food-wise or uh, everything, like yeah. everything happens after the meal. Yes. Like, and I get you know the feast doesn't have to be the feast. It's like right now the movie begins, but I genuinely thought things would start to happen during the feast. Yes, um, and it sort of all happens after in literally the next chapter after. Yes. Um, so I just thought that was a bit weird, like you're calling it the feast. I mean, maybe it's a deliberate ploy, right? You keep us engaged halfway through, and then kind of like then it kicks off. But yeah, again, yeah. called the feast, you know, Scandinavian I'm... cinema got some Scandinavian DP here. All meals have drama in them. We know that in Scandinavian cinema, but a Scandinavian DP here in that, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe, but no, no, it literally surprisingly uneventful. Uh, but yeah. I also had a few finger scenes uh-huh. watching through them. Uh-huh. The licking of the leg scene, for example. There's a lot of mouth stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was pretty gross, uh, but still, it, it sort of jolted me up from my slumber, as it were. Some of yeah. the bits and pieces. But again, nothing to keep me on edge, really. Not a huge amount to keep me interested. Uh, yeah. I did ultimately find it quite boring. It felt really, really long. Um, mm. But it looked nice. Um, it, looks, it looks great. It, it was like I really enjoyed the setup, 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 setup. I was really enjoying watching Caddy 
wander around the house and all the what's what do you think's going on here and i loved without going into spoilers um i kind of liked that it doesn't answer all of those questions um i liked the kind of connection to wales and the land um i thought that was nice yeah um it's aware of its place and it and it and it, yeah. and it goes as fantasial as it wants to but at the end of the day it wants you to remember this is Wales here yes and yes. we wanted to focus on that and remember that. And and the, half the cast is Welsh and the director's Welsh and yep. it's filmed in Wales. It's spoken in Welsh language. Like, yeah. So that's cool. That's mm. that's easily the best thing about this movie. Mm. Sense of place, executing that place, first mm. class. Everything yeah. else, not for yeah. me. Yeah. And it also wants you to have not seen Antichrist before. It, absolutely um, not. No. It, but yes, and I'd, I'd like to think most of our listeners would have done several times over. Um, <laughs> so, cause, because, you know, it's very good. It's but very anyway, good. no. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we saw it. Um, it actually came out early on in the year, so some people would have beaten us to it anyway. Yep. Um, and I hope they enjoyed it. I yep. really, really do. And uh, hey, let's hope some more from Wales. Let's hope for some more from Wales in the future. I think. I I would like that. I I was much happier watching this than watching a a lot of British horror films. A work, like indeed, a working class London based, or yeah. I don't know. Um, I just yeah. feel like I've seen them all, and they they just yeah. like they're so familiar to me that the I just I I can't really warm to them. But I warm to this straight away. Like maybe the operatic opening helped a lot. That had massive help. Maybe that, that goddamn beautiful house helped. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just how they hunt those rabbits. Oh man. Boy, boy, and very satisfying. Boing, boing, indeed. Yeah, I, I would have liked a little bit more focus on the food, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. No, that, I think that was a big problem. I was expecting um, not maggots on the plate and stupid rubbish like that, but like, ju- yeah, the feast. Yeah, there's there's a bit where Euro is sitting at the table eating, going, "Oh, the food is so delicious." He's literally eating a plate of peppers. Yeah, um, just chopped up bits of pepper and lettuce uh, and and things. And yeah, and, stuff. and I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, go for it. Well, why not? But yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah there's a few tricks missed, I, I think, like with, a lot, with a lot of different things in this. Yes, uh, right. Our reviews are done, or at least our official reviews, because yeah. then I think yeah. we've both got stuff we want to get off our chest. Well, but other yeah. things we've watched, either films, TV, or otherwise, to do with horror this year. Yeah, I mean, um, I... and this is the only chance we really get to do it on the podcast. So. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, know you want to, I know you probably want to mention the, the most recent Saw movie. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to mention the most recent Scream movie, but should we, should we actually start with something that I think we both want to talk about? Yes. Which is, and I will call him the great, mm-hmm. the great John Flanagan, mm-hmm. horror TV master. Wait, wait, Mike Flanagan. Mike oh, Flanagan. Sorry, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, right. horror TV master. Yeah. Everything he's done has been great up to this point, including Midnight yeah. Mass, which is literally my favourite ever horror TV series in history. Hot take, but okay. It's, oh my goodness, the writing yeah. in that, everything about it, the performances, the fact it doesn't overdo itself in terms of episode numbers. It's only eight episodes or something. Refreshing. Yeah. Not yeah. everything has to be fucking double digits these days. Like, yeah. Midnight Mass, holy shit. But his other stuff's also been pretty good as well. Yeah. Yeah. How I'm, I'm a big fan of Haunting a Hill House. I'm, Haunting a Hill House is my number one Mike Flanagan TV. Yeah, thing, yeah good yeah. stuff. It launched him essentially, didn't it? Like it got him, it got him the Netflix deal. And was the Eli Manor one that came after as well, is it? Eli Manor? Uh, yeah, but yes, Bly, Bly Manor with Bly Manor. That's the one. one. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Haunting a Hill House, really, really good stuff. But the Midnight Club. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I still haven't watched this yet. How is it? It's um, <laughs> the writing. Now, unfortunately, I don't. I can't, I can't actually remember whether he solo wrote all of his other stuff. I know he solo wrote the Midnight Mass, mm-hmm. which is why it's probably my favourite because it, mm-hmm. it's just an extraordinary feat of writing. Like the dialogue in it is just out of this world. Yeah. The Midnight Club's writing has got two other people involved, but worst of all than that, Ben, oh, it's got yeah. teenagers involved. Remember when kids could be kids? There we go. So that's the reference I was after. Right. These teenagers right. have got terminal illnesses, mm-hmm. and they're in this sort of, some sort of hospice thing, and there's spiritual things going on. But essentially, basically, it's an anthology series. So every episode, you get one of the teenagers reading a horror story at the end. So you've got the main horror story and then you've got the other, other each every night. They meet up when all the other hospice workers have gone to bed. They uh-huh. get some booze, get some stuff, go down to this room and tell each other horror stories to scare each other, really. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. The teenagers in this movie, one of them in particular who's in a wheelchair, right? And yeah. this makes me also think, do you remember when disabled people we're never ever annoying in movies. I don't remember that time ever. They always have disabled people in wheelchairs in movies being incredibly annoying. It takes the chance on massacre. Takes the on massacre. Yeah. yeah, and even yeah. even the actors in interviews afterwards said yeah. we were glad when when he was written out because he was starting to piss us off. Like, <laughs> like honestly, I think, I think like, that guy was just mad about being in the chair. Though, like, mad yeah. about being in the chair. But it's almost yeah. as if what well, that's one thing we haven't grown out of yet. Like we yeah. do, we do make films where they're not all. Some of them are actually pro-Russian movies. It's not <laughs> obviously it's not the West versus Russia in all movies anymore. Some yeah. of them, yes, but not in all of them. But there is this agenda where disabled wheelchair-bound performers in movies have to annoy people and have to be annoying. Uh, um, yeah. She's yeah. dreadful, but nearly all the teenagers in this film, in fact, practically all of them, are incredibly pretentious. Yeah, way above their stations. Okay, try to dominate every single scene over each other. There's no nuance. There's no up and down, quiet, loud. It's all one-dimensional, one volume, max yeah. volume, intellectualizing, theorizing everything. Like, hey, I get but it. This sounds like it's made for you, surely. Yeah, uh, look, I was an annoying teenager. I'm sure you were an annoying teenager. <laughs> we all, you, when you think you know everything and all the rest of it. But, but no one filmed us and put us on But TV. nobody filmed us and put us in a fucking hospice, mate. Nobody filmed us and put us in that movie, this yeah. movie, that clown movie, whatever the hell it is. Like, spare me the annoying teenagers in the Midnight Club. The rest yeah. of it's not that great either. It's it's nowhere near the best anthology series I've ever seen. Go yeah. back decades and decades, back to the 60s, 70s, um, where, where little stories every night and all the rest of it. Oh, oh, yeah, it tells you the unexpected. The unexpected, of course, being the most famous one. Like yeah. that, that was all decent stuff. This doesn't hold a candle to any of that. The writing isn't as good as all the other Flanagan things. What a crushing disappointment, Ben. What a okay. crushing disappointment. That's a, that's a shame. See, I'm part of me is starting to think maybe we're missing the golden horror elements of this year because I've, I've been hearing a lot about and not watching um, things like Terrifier 2, Smile and Barbarian, and I didn't watch any of them. And then we've got um, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Yeah. It's on Netflix right now, and I have, still haven't watched any of it. And I feel like I've been looking in the wrong place. 
because I decided to go back and watch. Is it called Spiral? Yep. It's called Spiral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the latest Saw movie. Um, yeah, I don't like it. It left. It was. It was the Saw equivalent of Titan for me. I was utterly bamboozled as to who that film was for. Have you seen Spiral? Uh, I haven't, but I've seen Saw One. Excellent. And I, felt, I felt that nothing could probably beat that if it was to be a series of films. No. At that point, nobody knew it would be a series. Nobody knew no. at all. No, no, no. Saw 2 is an interesting phenomenon because Saw, the, the script for Saw 2 wasn't actually a Saw movie. It was something else, and they they tweaked it with the Jigsaw thing. Saw's 3, 4, 5, 6. Um, they are not great, but the the strength of them is the last kind of 10 to 15 minutes thing with the, the denouement, the unraveling, where you realize how everything is connected no matter how lame source three, four, five, six are, the, the endings always make you go, Oh wow. Look, it's all, uh, they, they kind of evoke the memories of that first yeah, one. Of course. Spiral stars, Chris rock. <laughs> um, not my first choice for a horror film. No, no, not at all. Chris rock is a comedian. He's a funny <laughs> man. Every time he speaks, it's funny. And, he he he's just got it in his bones. So all the way through Spiral, I was like, "Is this supposed to be funny? Is Chris Rock supposed to be comedy? I I don't understand." And then they cast as Chris Rock's father, who's kind of the center of this movie. They cast Samuel L. Jackson. So you've got Samuel L. Jackson and Chris Rock. They're both great. They're riffing both off each fantastic. other. Yeah, they're both riffing off each other. They're both absolutely hilarious. Why are they in a Saw movie? What's, <laughs> what am I? What am I watching here? What, it's like it's like you've you've made Steptoe and Son, but you've you've got them trying to fight Jigsaw. So I like I was so befuddled as to why you would make a Saw movie with Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. They're both superlative in their own fields. Of in course. Their own oh, there can be no doubt. Chris Rock's a really good comedian, and Samuel Well, say no more. But yeah. Yeah, Sammy Samuel's had a, had a, enough of these snakes on this gosh darn well, plane, well, I believe. Gosh it. damn it, police procedural film. Yeah. <laughs> you don't put Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson in a in a torture porn horror film. That's just bizarre. No, this, um, outside of that, I found Spiral a very upsetting experience, <laughs> um, and not not because it's torture porn unpleasantness. It was just awful it just made, it made me so sad it was one of the most disappointing cinematic experiences i've had yeah for years um wow. well but you know live and learn i should have i should have been watching Barbar- barbarian and smile and that oh we'll, we'll catch all those and we'll think about <sighs> what honestly i it, like, we, we we we've tried to overcomplicate things by looking we at have. things in horror films but we I mean, then we then we go back to the basic things like a saw film, or in my case, a scream film. Ben, oh, oh, go on. Tell and me actually, more. I'm glad that I don't enjoy horror films anymore because uh-huh. I'm not the problem. It's the films, like okay. the new scream film, was quite well received. I thought. Oh yeah, People absolutely. To like it quite a lot. Yep. Massive fucking thing for me was the fact that one of the co-directors made the wreck movies. I love the wreck movies. Wreck movies yeah. are really fucking good. The wreck, wait, the wreck movies are oh, sorry, great. Sorry, not, not sorry. I meant wreck as in recording. VHS movies. Oh, all right, okay, okay. I okay, like okay. the fan footage VHS movies, particularly the first one. I like all that kind of stuff. I was excited about this. I was like, right, let's have a bit of fucking ghost face, shall we? 
how this film fucks up horror motifs is quite unlike <laughs> anything I've ever seen before. Like, hey, bloody hell, this film's gory. Like, it is... I don't even remember the other Scream films being as gory as that. I thought, okay. holy shit, I thought you'd hold back on that a bit. And you've got yeah. women literally being stabbed in the abdomen endlessly. I thought, this is fucking something else. I was on board. I thought, wow, <laughs> this is a slasher horror film with no fucking bells and whistles unnecessarily added on. Holy yeah. shit. But I'm recommending this film because people need to watch the car crash of the horror motif in a horror movie. In uh-huh. this so go and find this film, Ben. Uh-huh. Okay, all right. All right. Either watch all the whole right. thing and just enjoy it as, as it's normal or quote, quote, enjoy it as a normal thing. Okay. And wait for this scene involving sushi. Okay. Right. Okay. In this scene, they literally manage to completely destroy the entire history of the Scream franchise in about seven and a half minutes. Ooh. Where there are several moments of repeated attempts to scare you yeah. with doors being opened out in front of the camera, music being built up slowly. So yeah. therefore, when said character closes the door, you're expecting Ghostface to be there because yeah. the camera's no longer obscured, right? Uh-huh. Try me once. Try me twice. <laughs> try me three fucking times at that. Ooh. Now, here's one massive, massive reason why it sucks. Because what happens in screen films, every single screen film so far, every single time Ghostface yeah. is there... It's the creaking door sound effect, correct? Uh, yeah, every, yeah. I've never really paid attention. But yeah, yeah. Every yeah. single time, every time, without fail, squeaking door effect. Okay. These three, try me once, try me twice, try me three times scenes, none of them have the creaking sound effect. <gasps> so you just know that Ghostface isn't there. Uh, okay. One, I've been tried three times. Yeah. I'm thinking the next one's going to be there. The fourth one to do, creaking yeah. door sound, there's Ghostface. That is how to bastardize mm-hmm. an entire franchise, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> in less than eight minutes. It's a dreadful, dreadful execution from, as I say, an experienced couple of directors, one of whom made the VHS found footage films, which, I, again, I really liked. That is. Ever I mean, since then... Yeah. You know who Ghostface is anyway. It's not even that good in that sense. There's no surprises, none of that. Um, it's far, far too clever for itself. It's far, far too up its own arse. Um, yeah. I, I'm crestfallen that they're making yet another one. Um, make money, they'll make another one. Neve Campbell isn't involved in any in them anymore, so she's had enough. No, I've had enough. Um, it uh, Just to, how you felt watching the bafflement that you found watching Titan and found watching Spiral... Those eight minutes in the kitchen with the sushi scene, that for me was like, you know what? I think I'm actually done with horror films now because I literally, literally knew what was going to happen. And the motifs that you've spent decades building up, you've shit on them. I I, want to end on a more positive note. Yes. (laughs) Positivity. So um, horror icon of cinema, um, upsetting cinema experience. Uh, perhaps of the year for me this year was not on the podcast film. Uh, the latest Gaspar Noe film, Vortex, uh, split screen uh, look at the last days of an elderly couple. It's a 
you know, when horror films have the threat of death hanging overhead throughout, Vortex is the very, very, very real world experience of what it is to to face those final days. It's a deeply, deeply upsetting experience. Um, it's very, very mature. I'm all turned up to 11. It's more turned up to 11. And of course, it's Dario Argento. Yeah. On screen, it's it's Mr. Suspiria and Profondo Rosso with Francois Lebron, for sure. Um, but it, that was an, a, a sublime cinema experience for me. Not sublime in the sense of uh, wonderful, great, but the kind of the, the old art history meaning of sublime. Yeah. Dizzying, standing on a precipice. Where um, you literally need the screen, the speakers, the, the yeah. everything. Yeah, it was... It, it's yeah. not a recommendation for anyone who hasn't seen a Gaspar Noe film before, because this is Gaspar maturing um, and losing some of the, the bombast of his previous films. It's also Gaspar Noe not editing his films down whatsoever. I'm going to, I'm going to run this one long because if you want to know what the experience is like of being old and approaching your last few days, you need, you need to go through the slow time of this old couple in these moments so it doesn't kind of pull any punches in the length of the takes or anything anything that you see it's very very upsetting um i found it a a, a visceral experience i felt vortex in my body throughout the whole time i was watching it um really really loved it made me feel hope for cinema again it's it's always a lovely experience when i walk out of a cinema and i feel hope and i feel like i've seen something new and particularly when that something new has just been some actors and some cameras and nothing more than that but also something new from a director that you've been watching for a long time anyway yes, yes. the only consistency is his use of the futura font in his credits <laughs> yeah. apart from that everything else is new um, and I really, I just really loved it. And uh, yeah, it was a little bit of positivity, not strictly speaking, or in any stretch of the imagination, a horror film, but you got Dario Argento. Death is the topic of this movie. Um, yeah, and more turned up to 11. That, friends, was the final ever. No, it won't be the final ever. We'll just take a break. We'll try something else next year. We'll, we'll try, if it works, littering a few horror films throughout the year instead of just having them all in one place. We'll, we'll yeah. see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, Ben, because guess who's back next year? M. Night. Night. <laughs> Night <laughs> Knock at the cabin. Knock at the cabin. Boy, he can make a decent horror film in a house. The Visit. Oh, boy. Oh my god, D- nappies off the menu forever after watching the visit. Um, and bloody tastic. And not be shit. I think I think that the the Halloween episode hit or miss is a lovely breath of fresh air and an opportunity for us to do something different. It's 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 our it's you know the the when Buffy decides to do an episode that's a musical, oh, the musical episode, episode. Yeah. <laughs> an episode that's what the Halloween episode is the Buffy musical episode. It's left field. It's got nothing to do with the rest of the year. <laughs> and, you know, because I gave all of my love to flux gourmet, the film that has no reason to exist. I just, you know, I love, I love a bit of something different. It's fun. Mixes it up a yeah, bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll just cave in and we'll just do well, it. Let's, let's, yeah. Listeners, right in, back me up here. Um, we shall see, but um, you know, we yeah, we will just see how it goes. But 
nevertheless. Yeah? <laughs> not happy. Not happy. Yeah, no, well, no, not happy. Not happy with a lot of things. But, I understand. <laughs> no, no, we shall see. Anyway, knock the cabins and guarantee. We'll see what else comes up. Okay. Right. Okay. Then, yeah. next time we meet. Oh, yes. What's the next? Final review episode of the year. And as everyone knows, when it's when the winter starts drawing in, the temperatures stop dropping, the bills go up and up and up. Everything starts going a bit grey and a bit wet and a bit stick leafy on the pavements. Yeah, it can only mean it's time for our Scandinavian film special, twenty twenty two. Oh yeah, and boy, we know some of the ones we're going to be talking about. Pour me some fish soup. <laughs> Get the herrings on the go. We are going all out Scandinavian this time. You cannot get some of them are just so extraordinarily Scandinavian. Wow. Beautiful. Bring next month on, and I know you'll all join us for it. So we very much look forward to speaking to you then. But until then, happy Halloween if you celebrate it. Go and watch a decent horror film. (laughs) Go and watch a decent non-teenage orientated horror TV series. There are many out there. Some good ones. The Jeffrey Dahmer thing is really, really good, by the way. Oof. So, and that's pure horror, by the way. So, whatever it is, have a great time, and we'll see you in Scandinavia. <laughs>